Wasn't it great to hear from Rob and Chris about what God's doing in the lives of our young people? And it's really important, isn't it, that we honour what God is doing in the lives of our young people and do everything we can to encourage them as they step out or step forward on the journey of faith. And it reminds me that that was the age I was when I set out on the journey of faith. And I have to ask myself, how have I done? The holiday, summer holiday sermon series is about living the Jesus lifestyle. And this morning, the topic that I've got given to speak on is called Just Travelling Through. And uh, that challenged me a little bit, um, because I had to find some readings and and think how we take this. And it's an aspect of Jesus' life that I think many of us will actually find quite hard to identify with. All four of the Gospels, as you read them, seem to portray Jesus as this kind of itinerant preacher who spends so much time out there on the road, apparently completely unencumbered by the kind of responsibilities that form and shape so much of our lives. And those passages that Chris and uh, Sue just read to us are quite tough, actually, if we try to apply them to our own lives. Jesus gave people some pretty radical challenges to live as he did. To leave home, occupation, livelihood, family, to follow him. And then to go out, apparently with no visible means of support, to share the gospel. It's not really surprising that some of us can feel just a bit nervous about that word discipleship, if this is literally what it requires. So, so how do we respond to passages like this? How do we find a way to imitate the example that Jesus himself gave us, but in a way that's relevant to our complex 21st century world? And how do we do that without losing the essence of what Jesus lived and taught? Difficult questions, but we'll try to unpick them a little bit as, as we consider, first of all, how Jesus himself travelled through this life during his earthly journey. Then a bit about how he called others and us to journey and follow him. And then a little look at the end about some of the, the baggage that can weigh us down and constrain us as we seek to go on that journey. But first of all, for those of you who have returned from some summer holidays, perhaps it's time for a little bit of serious self reflection. How good are you when it comes to packing to go on a journey? Are you one of those, okay, that's it. Are you one of those slightly annoying people who's able to pack everything you need into a really minimalist little bag, one that you can easily lift up, maneuver around, and yet you still have the right stuff inside it so when you get wherever you're going, you can just emerge looking cool, crisp, and totally uncreased. I'm sure, Sue, you're one of those. Because I look creased even when I'm not traveling. Or are you a bit more like me? Does your baggage when you travel look a bit more like that? 
You know, the funny thing is, though, talking about setting out on the journey when you're young. When I was younger, I really did know how to travel light. Soon after we were married, we did a road trip that took us three months. But it wasn't a, a car road trip. It was a, a boat, train, taxi and bus road trip that took us all the way from London to Delhi. We crossed the sea, we crossed the land, we crossed deserts, we crossed mountains, we went through ravines, all very exciting stuff. And for that three months, the sum total of my possessions was in a carry bag, a hold-all that I just carried around. And anything that was valuable was just strapped around my waist on a money belt. I don't remember taking many clothes. I do remember washing them and drying them in the sun. I don't remember taking many shoes. I only remember one pair of green clogs. Boy, I loved those clogs, and they took me everywhere. And, you know, we never really thought about home either. We didn't have to worry about getting the garden watered, the pets looked after. We just shut the door on our one-bedroom, rented flat, and away we went. My poor mother never even got a phone call. How is it that things has changed so much now that I'm that little bit older? Earlier this summer, we took a road trip through France. That wasn't too bad, because when you go on a road trip, you can cram the car with everything. Some people are laughing. I think they recognize this sight. You can cram the car with everything that you might need, you know, clothes, footwear for every weather, every occasion. Cameras, lenses, tripods, binoculars, laptops, phones, iPhones, iPods, iPads, chargers, food for the journey, ice packs, picnic boxes, blankets, folding chairs, bags of every description, and we don't even camp. Flying is a bit more of a challenge. How do you squeeze enough stuff in for every possible scenario and still remain within the weight limit or have the physical strength to lift that overstuffed, overweighted cabin bag up into the overhead locker? Now, there are some parallels here, I think, with how we approach the journey of faith. And it's a journey that we embark on, many of in really good faith. But it's always going to be a struggle if we don't learn how to travel light. So what do we learn when we look at Jesus himself and the way he travelled in those three years? Well, a good leader doesn't ask anything of his or her followers that they don't live and model themselves. Jesus, Jesus as the Son of God and Jesus as a man knew exactly what it meant to travel light through this life. It was indelibly written into both his divine and his human DNA. Philippians 2 reminds us, as the son of the living God, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant and was born as a human being. As an old hymn says, he left his throne and his kingly crown when he came to earth for me. Jesus' earthly life began as it was going to end. When he was still in his mother's womb, he travelled many miles along rough roads as she sat uncomfortably upon a donkey. Towards that place that God had ordained for him to be born. 
Before he was born, he was already stigmatized by the circumstances, the misunderstood, misrepresented circumstances of his conception. And far from the comforts of home, that infant Jesus was born in a borrowed stable with straw for a mattress and an animal's feeding trough for a crib. And even after that inauspicious entry into this world, there was no chance to return home, what was home in that little known village called Nazareth. Because under the threat of death at the hands of King Herod, the baby Jesus had to be snatched up by his parents who had to flee, refugees seeking asylum and shelter miles away in Egypt. What if Egypt had closed its borders to the Holy Family? In those early years, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords was both homeless and stateless. And as he reached the end of his life, having accumulated no possessions, no wealth and no reputation, because that was in tatters, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And in the years in between, Luke tells us in another chapter, chapter 9, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus never went to university. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held public office. He never had his own family. He had none of the credentials that give people worth in this world. He was an itinerant preacher. He travelled with a motley crew of followers and he relied upon God above and the generosity of those below to supply his needs. And Luke tells us in chapter 8 that he was materially supported by others, particularly by a number of women who followed him. So if that is the example that Jesus demonstrated for us, How do we interpret that? How is it for us when we travel on the journey of faith? Come back to that one in a minute. But for those of us who embark on the journey in their teens and their early 20s, perhaps it's easy. When you're young, you've got such an optimism, such a zeal, such a zest for life, and the rest of life is stretching out ahead. And it's relatively easy to be empty-handed, not to be encumbered and cluttered up by the the security blankets and the trinkets of this material world. It's relatively easy, if you're young, to go where the Spirit leads you and let God chart your course. Provided, of course, parents listen up. Provided that parents are willing to release their children into the will and purpose of God. And that could mean letting them go where the Spirit leads them. It could mean letting them go to different places. It could mean letting them go to faraway places. It could mean letting them go to called-by-God places, even to dangerous places. How many of us are willing for that for our children? But back to ourselves, those who are slightly older than young. How many of us are able to remain willing and able as we grow older to stay in an unencumbered disposition of heart and of mind? It's a characteristic and perhaps a curse of the 21st century in the global north that as people move through life, they begin to invest all their security and their self-worth very much in stuff 
in homes, in contents of homes, in cars, in clothes, in lifestyles. And these, along with the careers that people pursue, the offices they hold, these things become so very much part of their identity. So much of creating the image that people want to portray for themselves. And in his book called It All Goes Back in the Box, John Ortberg challenges us us all as Christians about the amount of stuff we accumulate in our lifetime and reminds us that some of us play the game of life like a game of monopoly. A game in which you have to acquire everything you can. But the thing is, when the game's over, everything goes back in the box. All the money we've accumulated, the property, the successes that we've had, everything goes back in the box. Done. Finished. And soon forgotten. And Ortberg challenges us. He says, you have to ask yourself, how should I play the game, the game of life, in the light of this great truth that when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. He reminds us, that we set out in material life and in the life of faith with such good intentions. And yet so often we find ourselves drifting into another mode. A mode. We live in a world where image is everything. And too often, even as God's people, we allow ourselves to be defined by what we own, where we live, what we achieve, even by what we wear, or how we appear on social media. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 12, he reminded the early church and it's eternal truth for us all. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's God's will, his good pleasing and perfect will. My husband read me a passage this morning from a, an out-of-date writer, if you like, now Oswald Chambers. One of the things he says is, the good is often the enemy of the best. Things that are good for us may not be the best things in the will and purpose of God. Or as John Ortberg puts it, we should live every day as though tomorrow is the day when it will all go back in the box. We must live this day, every day, understanding what has just temporal worth and what has eternal worth. Now, the two passages that we've read made it very clear that when Jesus called his disciples to follow him and when he sent them out to minister to others in his name, there was a precondition that some things had to be left behind. Now, he may not ask us to leave everything in quite that same way. But to become true followers and disciples still involves a certain empty-handedness, a lack of preoccupation with material things, with reputational things. It involves a willingness to embrace risk and to lose being in control of our own lives and destinies. 
Now, it seems from reading the four Gospels that Luke's account, it was clearly not Peter's first encounter with Jesus. It's quite likely that Jesus had already met with Peter, Andrew, James and John and invited them to follow him. And what we read of here is a further call to an unconditional surrender of all that's past in order to follow him wholeheartedly. And Luke tells us shortly after, Peter experienced the greatest catch of his entire fishing career. He left everything to follow the Lord and Master. And those fishing vessels that only hours before had strained under the weight of all those fishes, fortunately not oil cans, Wellington boots, those vessels were left empty at the water's edge, but ready now for others to take up and use. Because indeed, Peter and the others were following Jesus to become those fishers of men. So, okay, there was the miraculous catch, but what else happened that day that redefined and realigned the lives of four men who were going to become the inner core of Jesus' disciples? It seems that to say that they already met Jesus, but maybe before this point in time, he had not become the captain of their souls. You could almost, Sue read it beautifully, but you could almost sense Peter's irritation when Jesus tells him to let down the nets again. You know, he's the fisherman. Jesus is the carpenter. Come on. But Jesus commands and Peter obeys. And then he sees, he sees this awesome power at the hand of God. But then I think he sees himself, his smallness, his own arrogance and ignorance. And at that point, it tells us he falls at the feet of Jesus and acknowledges, I'm a sinful man. Don't use that word much, do we, sin? You know, it's one thing to have an initial meeting with Jesus, fantastic as that is. But that's a beginning, you know, that's one thing. Meeting him, becoming acquainted with him, finding some windows for him in our busy lives, enjoying his company from time to time, and even letting him begin to set a moral, a new moral compass for our lives and for our children. It's all quite nice. Get new friends. But you know, it's quite another thing to face our own sinfulness, as Peter did that day, our own arrogance, our ignorance, particularly of the things of God, our pride, our self-centeredness, our lust and our greed. It's another thing to face that and then fall at the feet of Jesus and surrender every aspect of our lives to his will and purpose. And while many of us may not be called to abandon our careers, our professions or leave our homes. We are all called to a leave it all and follow me kind of a faith. And if we embrace that challenge and that call, that's going to take us time and again out of our comfort zones. We have a bit of a problem because we live in a take it all, pick and mix, spit out, spit out the pips, do what is right for me culture. And if we're not careful, we can take that approach when it comes to following Jesus. 
And we think it's okay because we can slot him into our lives when it's convenient. We fit him in around our jobs, our families, our ambitions, even our leisure pursuits. But I'm not sure that that's New Testament Jesus-centered faith. That's a bit like having Christianity as a hobby. Now, I don't know about you, but I really don't need another hobby. But I know what I do need. I need a Jesus-centered, God-honoring, life-changing, hurt-healing, love-generating, overcoming faith. But I know that to have that, my self-determination has to be left behind. And that's not just a once-and-for-all thing. We have to face that time and again. Because Jesus says in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if we take a good look at ourselves and our lives, we will know where our treasure is, where our heart is. Looking at that Mark passage, we may want to ask what's the relevance for us of that very specific command that the disciples take nothing for their journey. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that we take that literally as a model for modern-day ministry. But I'm going to read you Eugene Peterson's translation of that passage from the message, because I think it gives us some helpful insight into the spirit of what Jesus is saying. He called the twelve to him and sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority and power to deal with the evil opposition. He sent them off with these instructions. Don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeals for funds. Keep it simple. Say it again. Keep it simple. And no luxury inns. Get a modest place and be content until you leave. If you're not welcomed, not listened to, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. Then... They were on the road. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Right and left, they sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointing to their bodies and healing to their spirits. And we know, don't we, that they came back rejoicing. So perhaps if we take the essence and spirit of this passage, it can be a reminder to us that we are called to share the gospel joyfully, and with a simple reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit, prayerfully seeking God to bring healing and deliverance and draw people from outside into his kingdom. And sadly, too often, church growth is about recycled Christians, if we're honest. And we get worried about declining church attendance, not just in our church, but everywhere. And we blame secularism, we blame consumerism, we blame the work pressures, family commits, we blame the millennial mindsets. But could another factor be that people are leaving church because they are not encountering God there? And if that is so, And in a recent survey of teens and 20s, opinion came out that actually it wasn't funky music that that younger people wanted in church. It wasn't gizmos, it wasn't this, it wasn't that. 
It was an authentic sense of the living God that you don't get out there. So we have to ask if we've missed something. You know, it's great that we have fantastic musicians. It's great that we have good graphics and a website. It's great that we have courses. We have courses, don't we, for pretty much everything. Baptism to bereavement, marketing to marriage, parenting to prophecy, worship to welcoming, hospitality to healing. And it's all really good stuff. And it's important stuff. And it's one vehicle for perhaps reaching out, extending the borders of our tent to others. But I sometimes do just wonder, you know, if we invested half the time that we invest in running courses and programs into really getting before God in prayer and in fasting, and I'm talking to myself as much as to anybody else, if we did that, invested time in prayer and waiting on God alone and together, what might happen then? Might we encounter God more? Because we have to be sure that if we're bringing people into the church through our activities and our programs, we have to offer them something authentic about a gospel that is transformational. Whilst we pray for transformation in our own lives and ensure that as we've heard this morning, where there are stories of transformation, those are told. Just one more thing before we finish. It's about traveling light. How often do you see a picture of Jesus carrying baggage? Baggage, particularly if you're a packer like me, baggage weighs us down. It slows us up. It impedes our progress. And it can make us quite irritable, actually. But it's not just the material baggage that limits us and restricts us, preventing us from experiencing what God intends, us, intends for us, because we're all human, we're all flawed, and we all carry baggage from the past. Things that go back to our childhood and our upbringing, our place in our families. The effects of bullying, trauma, or abuse can become deeply ingrained in our psyche and affect our actions and our reactions throughout life. These things can leave us fearful and unable to step out in faith, take risks and trust God. Leave us unable to really express God's unconditional love to others. It can be really hard for somebody who's had a, an abusive or a controlling father to experience God as a loving father. Events from the past, whilst deeply buried, can leave us with an anger that smoulders deep within and erupts at unexpected times and without much provocation. There's baggage that no one really wants to talk about in church. The abuse that takes place behind closed doors. And it's really hard to come to terms with the reality that domestic abuse can happen in our churches at the hands of Christians. But abuse is perpetrated by Christians, often wounded Christians. And women and men too in our congregations can suffer in silence because of the stigma around abuse. We live in a society which values personal choice. But Paul warns in chapter 10 of his first letter to the Corinthians, we're allowed to do anything. 
but not everything is good for us. We're allowed to do anything, but not all things help us grow strong as Christians. And some of us have baggage that we've chosen to carry, and now we can't set it down and leave it behind. Destructive behaviours often start as seemingly harmless and legal pleasures. Just ask anyone who knows what it's been like to slide down the slippery slope of addiction to alcohol, drugs or pornography. Sometimes we struggle so really very hard to find a release from the guilt over things we've done or said in the past or left undone and unsaid. And somehow we never find a true sense of forgiveness that enables us to move on and grow in our faith. The church has to be a place where all are welcome, whatever baggage they bring. But if that's the end, the church is not serving its purpose on God's earth. It has to be a place where wholeness and transformation can be found. I think John mentioned that earlier in the service. And as part of that journey towards wholeness, some people may need professional help to confront the pain of the past and find the way forwards. And that's good and right. But alongside that, another very important part of our journey towards healing and wholeness, empowerment and liberation, love, joy and peace, is to discover the power of the cross. The cross where Jesus died. The cross where Jesus triumphed over evil. All the evil that has been unleashed into this world. And so as we finish, whatever baggage you carry, Jesus invites you to come and leave it at the foot of his cross. It could be different things for different people. It could be a reliance, an over-reliance on material wealth, security, possessions, reputation. It could be that you have never really laid down your will and self-determination Never like Peter really acknowledged that you are a sinful man or woman and that you need to surrender everything to Jesus instead of seeking to hold him at just a little bit of arm's length so that you can be the captain of your own soul. Your baggage may be hurt or abuse from the past or even in your present situation. It may be guilt. It may be an irrational fear that torments you. Jesus says, come. Acknowledge it, name it, bring it to the foot of the cross, meet him there and let him walk with you on a journey of healing and transformation. So wherever we are on the journey, let's be determined that we're willing and ready to travel light, to let him get rid of the baggage, the attitudes. Let's travel light So that if tomorrow were the day when everything went back in the box, we would know that we had travelled well.